You're listening to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller on philliesnation.com. What's going on, everybody? Johnny Heller here, host of the Phillies Nation podcast, uh, coming at you with another episode this week. We are talking about the 2016 Phillies. Um, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ty Daubert, and again, this week we have another guest on, so Ty, could you uh, introduce our guests? Yeah, for sure. Uh, as Johnny said, I am Ty Daubert. I'm very happy to be talking about the 2016 Phillies. But on this week's episode, we do have a guest, like Johnny said, um, Phillies Nation intern for this summer. John Leuzzi is on with us today. John, thanks for coming on. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Excited to talk about an exciting year of the rebuilding process. Yeah, yep. Uh, definitely, you know, last week we talked about 2015 and I think that was probably, uh, the most eventful year, even though that team was horrible, but 2016, um, definitely started to see some things fall into place, but mostly still just really, really bad baseball, which is fun to talk about. But before we dive into that, um, there was a a report last night from Jeff Passan, um, on, you know, Major League Baseball's plan to potentially, uh, get the season underway. So, Ty, did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, before we talk about whether or not it's a feasible idea, I just wanted to say you pointed this out. Um, uh, Corey Seidman of NBC Sports Philly pointed another one out. There were just some – some of the proposals in there were funny to imagine in your head. Like, umpires – social distancing and using a, an electronic strike zone so the umpire could stand back far away from the catcher is definitely funny to imagine in your head. Uh, Corey Seidman, he mentioned that they put, they said they were going to put players in the stands six feet away from each other. Like, just imagine that. That would be so weird and super funny to look at. Uh, you know, they're they're going to have to make some compromises. It's just not going to... You know, if they can pull this off, there's going to be some things that look weird uh, when we first start watching, if they're able to pull it off. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely – we will not see normal baseball in 2020. I think that's um, pretty much a guarantee. I don't think that fans will be able to go into games this year. Um, I think the the conference call with uh, the president and all the commissioners, what came out of that was that they expected – around August or September, maybe there could be fans allowed in stadiums, but even then we don't know. So um, if there's a season, it's going to be under some strange circumstance. Um, John, did, did what did you think of the, of this proposal? Yeah, I think you just talk about how sports as a whole wants to come back into the country itself, but at the same time, it's not going to look the same. Like, like you said, Ty, the having the electric, umpire it just sounds like a really odd kind of thing i know the league wants to bring these robot umpires in there but this is not how it should be played now obviously there's going to be new proposals to this so it's going to be interesting to see what the final verdict is when baseball is able to come back just just like for a second in your minds imagine joe west standing like 10 (laughs) feet 10 feet behind the catcher. Like, it's so ridiculous to imagine. He wouldn't. He would not have been able to, in 2014, 
go up to Jonathan Papelbon and grab him by the shirt. He would have to, <laughs> you know, adhere to social true. distancing. That's true. There's not going to be social distancing between the batter and the catcher, even if the, if a major right. baseball wants to have the umpire social distance, the catcher and the batter are going to be closer than what the umpire might be if this was a real game. Right. See, and that's that's where the the problem is is the inconsistencies. Like, yeah, you can have the the players sitting six feet apart in the stands, but you know, there's going to be tag plays, and there's going to be, you know like you said, the batter and the catchers right next to each other. Um, so I think like from that standpoint, I don't think, you know, the make or break thing is going to be on having the, having robo umps or no robo umps. I think, um, and me and Ty have been talking about this pretty much nonstop since the article came out. Uh, there's just so many like problems, you know, you're asking players to be away from their family for five months, like, completely isolated like not allowed to visit them once um you know arizona in the middle of the summer it's going to be 120 degrees at at points and that's uh going to cause problems and you know if if there's an out like there's still a potential of an outbreak of the coronavirus you know they're still living together um it just it feels like it's a a pretty big long shot for this to actually happen but you know it it also based on what Passon said it seems like they're motivated to get something in um, some kind of season. And so, you know, we'll see what, what happens. Yeah. I, I just, like you said, there's a lot of things that would have to go perfectly right for everything to work. And I just, I don't think it'll, it'll happen. It, it just seems very unlikely. And, you know, obviously they're going to be trying to work some things out because they want to play baseball and, they want to be back as soon as they can safely, but at least this uh, current proposal as is, I don't see it happening. Yeah, yeah, I, I say I agree. Do you guys? Do you guys think there's if like is there going to be baseball in 2020? What do you guys think? As much as I hate to say it, and I'm a huge baseball fan for everybody who knows me, I don't think baseball will be played this year. I think just. We don't know how this coronavirus is going to play out. Obviously, the health officials and the president know a lot more than what we do from just sitting in our houses. Maybe there is this upside that this thing's going to be away in a, in a short amount of time, but we don't know. And right now, that makes me think that sports won't be coming back. And, you know, it's going to be a tough challenge for everybody to handle with. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning no as well. It just feels like uh, if they try to rush this and they they really want to get a season in this this year, it could just create more problems uh, than anything else. Yeah, I agree. I think I mean the just like based on how bizarre a lot of this stuff in this proposal is, it makes you think that they're desperate, but that like if that's what the only way it could happen, which that's not necessarily true, like. There, I think there's a potential that um, things settle down to the point that they can start a season, um, not just in Arizona in like August, but like at that point, would they really want to do it? Um, and that's really what it comes down to. And I guess the other question is, Ty, what are we gonna, what are we gonna be talking about on this podcast if there's no baseball? Are we gonna, you know, go back to the 1930s and talk about whatever rebuild the Phillies had when they were losing a hundred games per year for 50 years or what are, what are we going to be doing? 
I mean, uh, this also <laughs> this it has to do with my answer too. Um, you know, everything changes on a day-to-day basis. So maybe they do play games this year. Um, like the KBO is playing; they're going to start games in May. It looks like. Uh, so in, in South Korea, they're getting ready to play. They got it mostly taken care of, not mostly taken care of, but uh, they're in a good enough situation where it looks like they can play baseball games and maybe things change here. But if not, maybe we follow some of the former Phillies that are playing in the KBO or just former MLB players in general. And we, we talk about them. I put this out into a thought. Now we eliminate interleague play so like once all the major the national league gets sent down to florida if it's safe there and then the american league gets sent to the Amer gets sent to arizona maybe that stops the uh, the chance of having a lot more of these players having the outbreak but it's still too early to know yeah there's just yeah like like ty said it's just everything changes on a daily basis and um, John, like you said, the health officials know a lot more than we do. Obviously, it seems like um, these next couple of weeks are going to be the peak of the virus, but you don't know how long after that it's it's going to be um, a situation where it's. I mean, it's it's really going to be ongoing for a while, uh, whether or not sports come back. Um, so, with that, I think we can move into the 2016 Phillies, um, and I think. The first thing we should talk about uh, is, you know, so the Phillies fired Ruben Amaro at the end of 2015 after letting him, you know, make a bunch of trades. It it was Uh, in season still. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. In September. Right. And then uh, they hired. So they hired Matt Klentak um, and Klentak, who's still the organization today, obviously, uh, his first move as general manager was. Uh, to trade Ken Giles to the Houston Astros. So, Ty, do you want to dive into that a little bit? Yeah, so um, obviously, like you said, Matt Klintak's first move, they determined that Ken Giles was good, but he didn't exactly match up with their timeline. Uh, and there were some some other pieces involved in this trade, but the, the main points of it was Ken Giles to the Astros for Vince Velasquez, uh, Mark Appel, and the Phillies also got Brett Ober- Oberholzer. And, you know, Mark Appel, he was the first pick in the draft. The Phillies, I guess, thought that maybe they could figure him out where the Astros could not. And Velasquez was a young pitcher with a big arm, a righty. And he's obviously still with the organization to this day. So, um, you know, that was... That was Klintak's first move. At the time, it seemed like a decent return. Even, you know, now it seems maybe they could have gotten a little more, but knowing what you did at the time, it sounded like a, sounded like a decent return. Yeah, uh, like you said, it, it seemed like a pretty good return. Um, we talked about this a little bit last week. Ken, Ken Giles, really, really good. Um, but having a elite closer in on a team that's going to win 65 or 70 games, it's kind of pointless. Um, so obviously when, when he has, you know, four or five years left of control left, you trade him and, and get what you can for him. And that's what the Phillies did. And at the, at that time, I think uh, my reaction was, you know, worst case, maybe not worst case, but 
even if Velasquez doesn't work out as a starter, there's still like a, a good shot that he could work out as a high leverage reliever, maybe even a closer. And that's a thought that I think a lot of Phillies fans have carried to this day, whether or not it's it's accurate or not. But um, it just looked like a pretty uh, like a fine move um, and a necessary one too. And obviously, you know, Appel kind of just did not work out at all. And um, you know. Whether or not Vla- Velasquez hasn't been great, but he's been would you would you say Vince Velasquez has been serviceable? Yeah, I'd say he's been, that. Ser- he's been serviceable, at, good at times, bad at times, but overall he's been fine. Yeah, and I just like, think the biggest thing. Sorry to cut you off there. No, you're good. Go ahead. The biggest thing that is that Quintex saw a need in the rotation, and they went to go get arms that they thought they could groom to be top major league pitchers and that's why they went to get a Pell and Velasquez they thought they had potential so they they had to give away some talent to try to experiment with others yeah definitely and um you know like like we said it might not have worked out great but you look at the other side of things um Ken Giles revived his career last year but before that it's kind of a disaster in Houston so for a while there, it just looked like a trade that, you know, hasn't really worked out for either team. Um, but I guess while on the sub, the sorry, the subject of Velasquez, um, we can start with his second outing as a Philly. Um, so does one of you guys want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I'll I'll take it away here. Vince Velasquez, like you said, uh, second outing as a Philly. He went out there and in a in a start against the San Diego Padres, he threw a, a gem, to be honest, and it's to this day been the best outing of his career. 16 strikeouts in a complete game. And honestly, John, Johnny has joked about this to me uh, and said something to the effect of, is that the best outing in Philly's history? And well, maybe not the best. It's definitely up there. Like he was, he was unreal that day. And, and maybe that outing has kind of hurt uh, how people, it, you know, it, it gave them un, unreasonable expectations for what Velasquez was, uh, because it was his second outing as a Philly, and he was so good that day. But you know, he went out there in those not very good-looking red alternate jerseys, and he threw a gem. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I thought I, I when preparing for this, I thought about when I was watching that game actually live just off the TV and it was like, man, this guy has the stuff. He has the movement on his pitches. He has all the stuff and the pitches and all that kind of. And and then, yeah, you say it perfectly, Ty, this put almost like an expectation on him, like he needs to throw this he needs to throw like this uh, every single outing, and it just hasn't been a smooth journey for him. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I, you know, I, I didn't watch the game at the time. Uh, I think it was a day game. I had JV tennis practice, humble brag there, you know, <laughs> walked onto the JV tennis team my junior year, never played before, no big deal. But uh, um, anyway, so I, I wasn't watching, but, I, you know, I think I got out after like the seventh inning and... Um, seven innings he had 11 strikeouts and you know i thought wow that's pretty awesome 
And then I looked at my phone half an hour later, and he had, you know, finished the game with with 16 strikeouts. So it was, like yeah, I said, it was an unreal outing. Um, Ty said I joked that it was the best uh, regular season start in Phillies history. I legitimately think it might be. Um, you know, I I think I tweeted that last week, and most of the responses were uh, Roy Halladay's perfect game and Cole Hamels' no hitter. Uh, Roy Halladay got like nine swings and misses in his perfect game, and you know, Roy Halladay was you know, probably the greatest pitcher of our, of that generation. Uh, but if we're talking pu- like purely dominant, like a no hitter, perfect game, there's a little bit of luck involved. Uh, and if we're just talking about dominant, like Vince Velasquez was not touched by the Padres. They, could, uh, they were also very bad. I was going to say, <laughs> if we're talking about level of talent, it wasn't a great team, but were the, I mean, the 2010 Marlins weren't a great team either. Um, they, had some, they had some hitters. And then, you know, I think, People also talk about the Hamels no-hitter in 2015, and that was definitely against a better team. Uh, but there were also, like, he was... The Lee game, the Lee game where he won 10. 10 innings, that's a great game. But Hamels, we talked about it last week. There were a couple Rockets hit off of him that stayed in the yard because of the win. Yeah, the um, last the last hit yeah. of the game probably would have been a home run on a regular day. So I won't commit to saying that Velasquez's start was the best regular season start in the in Philly's history, but it was definitely up there. Um it was incredible, and I think a lot of fans and, um, you know, just people watching thought maybe the Phillies had gotten themselves an ace or at least a top-of-the-rotation starter. Um, has he even – he hasn't pitched into the eighth inning since that start, yeah. I don't think. Probably not, no. So, yeah, it hasn't been um, as good for him since has then. He, does, does he have more complete games than Aaron Nola to this point? I would say that he he does have more complete games. Uh, just about anyone. Well, he only has one complete game according to ESPN. Who's that? Velasquez. Vince Velasquez. Yeah. Oh, Aaron Nola happens to have zero. None? So, <laughs> uh, just about everyone in baseball that has one complete game has more than Aaron Nola. But you know, no big deal. <laughs> Velasquez, you know, like clearly Velasquez peaked in his second game up to this point, and Nola has gone on to ha- you know proved to be a really good MLB pitcher. Vince Velasquez has more like moments than Nola, I think. I <laughs> What do you mean? Like are you talking about like the assists? Yeah, if you just think of <laughs> moments, it's like the 16 strikeout game, the opposite the opposite arm throw, the th- the throw to home plate, the diving catch. Nola has and... like the Harper strikeout. Nola also has missed Har- out his home run, Velasquez's home run in Miami. Yeah, yeah. that was a, a shot. Like That was crushed. But I don't know. I mean, Nola also, I mean, 2018, sure, he had the Harper strikeout, but he had a couple other outings that were just – I mean, he had that game in New York where he had the two RBIs on the double. And yeah, that's true. That's single-handedly true. won him the game. I don't know. I mean, when you talk about moments, like, is an eight-inning, no-run start, like, is that a moment? No, like, it's just like, I don't know. It doesn't mean anything. It's just... I, I guess I guess not. But, uh, yeah, anyways, I guess we can can move on here. Uh, one of you guys want to talk about something from this season? John, why don't you go ahead right now? Yeah, I think w- one of the other highlights of this, she- of this season was against the Cincinnati Reds in a late night in June when – Tyler Goodell threw out a runner at home plate to Cameron Rupp to win the game. 
I think that it might be, we were talking about it before we came on here, that might be the best play from the season of 2016. Yeah, it was was unreal. Uh, You know, the Goodell throw, it was on the money, uh, and Rupp got absolutely trucked at the plate and just held on. Suarez rocked him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tom McCarthy, Tom McCarthy nailed that call. Tom McCarthy, one of his top calls of his time. Phillies broadcast. He um, he he is like really, really, really good at at big plays. Like I think he nails just about every highlight play. Uh, but that that is like one of the best of the best. That was that was just a really what a what a cool moment for like a bad team. Like that, just the way the way that that game ended with a seed from from Tyler Goodell and Rupp getting, like I said, absolutely nailed by Eugenio Suarez. Uh, I there's not too many better ways to end a game. Yeah. The I'm, thing about that game was that it was a, such a typical Phillies bullpen game at that time, where they almost gave up the lead. And then all of a sudden, like a miracle comes out of Goodell of this Rule Five draft uh, pick from the Tampa Bay Rays, and he just like wins the day with Rupp and Ruppy's puppies in the top of the right field corner. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, I, I forgot about Ruppy's puppies. You know, on the the first episode, what 2012? Yeah, Tim, 2012. Tim was on, and we were talking about. You know, the wolf pack and all that. Forgot about yeah. Ruppy's Puffies. Uh, but, yeah, I think Goodell, all of his highlights in the season were in left field. He wasn't, he couldn't really hit all that well. But uh, as I discovered right on uh, Baseball Reference right before the podcast started, he uh, led the, all left fielders in the National League in double plays this year with, with a whopping three. Uh, so, you know. Some good uh, trivia right there. But um, so I guess while we're talking about Tyler Goodell, um, we might as well bring this up. So Tyler Goodell, like I just said, didn't hit all that well in 2017. He was a Rule 5 pick, uh, as John mentioned. And so there's a towards the end of the season, um, the Phillies picked up uh, Jimmy Paredes. I think they also were playing... Uh, Yonsu Kim, who they got in the... No, that was the next year. That was next year? Oh, yeah, yeah, my bad. But at any rate, they started playing other guys in the outfield. And Altair. Some, yeah, and right. Well, Altair was... Like wasn't he hurt for most of this year? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I guess he had, he had 200 players. Yeah, he, I he, think he, they... He came uh, back you had Dan Ruff as well. Yeah. And Roman Quinn came up at the end of the year, I think. Yes. Um. But so towards the end of the year, Goodell stopped playing as much. Um, and I think someone asked why, asked manager Pete McKinnon why. And this is just a great quote uh, from Ryan Lawrence of, of Philly Voice. Uh, McKinnon said, I don't see a need to play him, especially after he hasn't played so much. What's the point? Uh, I think Jack asked, Jack Fritz, WIP asked on last week's episode, or said that he must have inspired so much uh, enthusiasm in the in the clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, nothing nothing says like players manager like a quote like that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, what's the point? What's the point? <laughs> yeah. 
to be fair, to be fair to Pete McCannon, you know, obviously you should probably not say these things outwardly about your players, but Tyler Goodell did have a 47 OPS plus uh, <laughs> in 234 plate appearances. He was not he was not going to help the team win many games, and you know that at that point they probably decided just to keep him on the active roster because he's a rule five pick. And they said, we might as well keep him around for the rest of the year so we could keep his, his rights. So we don't have to send him back to the team we drafted him from. Uh, so they were kind of, they were kind of in a pickle. If the, if the front office decided they wanted to keep him around uh, for future years without having to send him back. And Pete McCannon decided that he was going to try to put the best lineup in um, he might not have had much of a choice other than to just keep him on the bench, but definitely, definitely not the not what you want to hear from your manager. I just thought of this now, and it's it's really weird to think into the future. But if the Phillies kept Tyler Goodell, what would Gabe Kapler's nickname be for him? Because he wasn't he wasn't going to produce for you on the field, but Kapler would have been, hyped him up just like he did for Sean Arigas. Oh, uh, he would have called. He would have been Goody. Yeah, yeah, even goody. Even goody. That's that's yeah. all Kapler ever did was just throw a Y on the end of <laughs> anyone's name. <laughs> what was the what was the best one? Like, did he have any? Did Kapler have any best nicknames? Like, people did not call Michael Franco Mikey until Gabe Kapler came around. Yeah, I don't remember any specifically that uh, stand out, but if you know, if it comes to me, because Andrew Knapp <laughs> with Nappy. Nappy. He did just throw. These, they were not creative. He just threw Y oh. at the end, or maybe some he sh- he shortened. I feel like you know you got some knolls in there and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, well, we are going to take this all the way through 2019 uh, over the next few weeks. We will definitely will talk with talk about Gabe Kapler, and next week we will have another uh, really really awesome Pete McCannon quote. Um, so stay tuned for that. But uh, I guess we can move on to. Something else from this season. Uh, you guys got something? Yeah, I'll go. play in San Diego? Sure. Yeah, well, why that's don't a good you one. Talk a little bit yeah. more about that. Yeah, again, San Diego again, but this time in San Diego. Uh, Padre hitter hit the ball to Fra- Michael Franco at third, then he went to Cesar Hernandez, and then he went to Tommy Joseph, who played first base then because he replaced Ryan Howard. And, and I believe it was uh, Rube... Uh, it was Ramos who was uh, pitching for them in relief, and that was yeah. just like most the most unbelievable, most uncommon play in the history of Major League Baseball that happened, and the Phillies were one of those teams who did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah like it, the, it was it was Ray Ramos. I feel like the Phillies yeah. have turned a lot of triple plays, even though the teams haven't been good. Like the the Hoskins one in in 2018 was <laughs> so fake. It was, that was that might be my favorite play ever. But most other other than like around the horn triple plays, most of them it feels like are kind of by accident. Yeah. Like I mean, like unassisted triple plays are almost always pure luck. Like they just happen to hit a liner right at you. Haven't uh, there also been like twelve unassisted plays in MLB history? Like. Sure, I don't know. They're luck, though. They're, yeah, incredibly rare. Uh, Reese Hoskins was just like, he dove and they thought he caught it, or what happened with that one? 
Yeah, I mean, he dove, and you know, he was a horrible left fielder, so... I don't he remember caught exactly. it. He caught it, and they didn't realize it, and they doubled everybody up. It was something like that. That might have been in 2017, actually. There, there have been 15 unassisted triple plays. No, it was was it not 2018? I thought it was 17 because didn't was, they have him? Didn't they have him playing left field because they stole a Joseph, and then they they kind of split time? I mean, it might have been. Well, they were in the Players Weekend jerseys. I remember that. Yeah, it was the uh, the, and it was 2017 because it was the like light. It was like the cream. Yeah. Players All right. Weekend jerseys. You're right. Um. Yeah. So triple plays. Fun the, stuff. I once uh, I've told Johnny this before. I I once went to my brother's little league game, uh, and I witnessed an unassisted triple play. There's a liner right at the second baseman. Uh. This kid, I ended up being a high school teammate of his. But liner right at the second baseman, and the runners just kept going. He tagged the runner from first, stepped on second, unassisted triple play, just like Bruntlett. Wow. I, I told Ty, <laughs> me, me and Ty were talking the other day about our, our Little League memories. I almost I almost turned a triple play in fall ball, but the ump got the call wrong at home. I made a great catch at second base. Again, humble brag, no big deal, but... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, at any rate, uh, we can talk. I think we should talk a little bit more about the rotation because the 2016 Phillies rotation, at least the top of that rotation, was better than anything else they put on the field during the rebuild. Um, so they traded for Jeremy Hellickson in the offseason. Uh, who, who did they give up? Sam um, McWilliams. Yeah. Traded Sam McWilliams to the Diamondbacks for Hellickson. Uh, Hellickson Good trade. Did, do, yeah, great trade. He was due to be a free agent, a free agent at the end of the 2016 season, um, and obviously they ended up keeping him for another year. But he was very good. Uh, they a, gave him the qualifying offer, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they thought he would leave, and he didn't. They kind of, they were hoping to get a draft pick out of it, and he ended up staying. I think, but, but like, uh, I've talked to you and other people about this before. Like, even though he did stay, and uh, they. Uh, didn't end up getting the draft pick. It, it's not like, you know, they could just flip them at the next deadline, which they did anyways. Yeah. And it's not like they were paying anybody. So the, what what's the QO, like 17 million or something? Yeah. Yep. Like it, it, it wasn't going to hurt them. Like it was definitely the right move either way, whether they thought he was going to stay or, or not stay. It was the right move to give him the qualifying offer and either get a draft p- pick or you flip them, which they ended up doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Hellickson was pretty good. Uh, he had a 3.71 ERA. I actually, the other day, I tweeted his stats and uh, 2019 Aaron Nola's stats and let people vote on, you know, who they thought was better without seeing who was who. And then I think 75% of people chose 2016 Hellickson. Uh, but Hellickson wasn't even the best pitcher in the staff, actually. It was Jared Eikhoff, who... At this time, it really looked like he was the steal of the Cole Hamels trade. Yeah, like like you said, this was they got production out of the first three, out of like the best three starting pitchers uh, that they had, which inexplicably was Jared Jared Eikhoff, Jeremy Hellickson, and Vince Velasquez. So <laughs> in in 2016, it was looking like they couldn't miss a trade <laughs> like <laughs> like all, all three of these guys they had just gotten within the last uh you know calendar year and it looked like they were probably thinking like wow we just 
well, we don't miss with these trades. Right. Yeah. I mean, even yeah. so, like Nola, Aaron Nola, he had a pretty good first month or two, and then he he just got really bad and um, had a bunch of clunkers in a row, and then was sidelined. I think he he was injured for the last couple months of the season, so he wasn't even good. But they still had three good pitchers up there, and it, it looked yeah. like he, Icon- he wasn't horrible. No, well he he wasn't horrible, but he also had a horrible stretch. Um, yeah, four four point seven eight ERA yeah, overall yeah. in twenty starts. So. Yeah. Um, but I think it looked like between Eichhoff, Velasquez, and and Nola that the Phillies were really building a good controllable young rota- rotation, which is definitely a way to you know build a winning team in Major League Baseball. And obviously, it hasn't worked out that way. Even though, in for you know the a few starts in 2019 that it looked like Jared Eichhoff might be back. Um, and then he started giving up home runs like it was nobody's business. But Yeah, I was going to say that. If it wasn't for all the injuries that he was having, and, and then I think it was something with his finger or something like somewhere that was an odd injury, he might still be in this rotation right now. And he could have had a lot more success. He could have been a dependable number five pitcher and we wouldn't have to be worrying about who's going to be the number five if the season actually starts now yeah i mean 20 2016 jared eikhoff production is definitely um at least a number five it's solid for for most teams number three or number four mm-hmm. uh but like you said injuries and just um he hasn't really been able to produce i think his curveball like his curveball in 2016 had some major bite and it just it has not been the same. Uh, his twenty his twenty sixteen is probably and I know they're banking on Zach Wheeler to take the next step and I think that he can, but it's probably better than anything Zach Wheeler has done in the major leagues thus far. Wow, that's like that's a, other a than it mm, twenty eighteen Wheeler was really good, but. You know, Eikhoff was he was really good in 2016. Yeah. So I was wrong. Yeah. I looked it up really quick. In 2018, uh, Wheeler was pretty awesome, but Eikhoff he threw more innings that year. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's close. It's close. If you could get if you could get 20 if you get 2016 Jared Eikhoff and throw him in the 2020 rotation, that's like the Phillies' second or third best pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely third. Um. And I guess we should also touch on so Zach Eflin also made his debut in 2016. He got rocked by the Toronto Blue Jays. I remember being pretty excited to watch watch that game because you know you follow these guys. Uh, I think he was pitching pretty well in Lehigh Valley, and you know, you follow these guys on your phone, but you can't watch them pitch. So it's like, all right, I'm gonna watch this this guy pitch, and he came up and he got absolutely rocked. By the, in Toronto, um, and obviously that <laughs> for your first major league start, I don't think that's really the the offense that you prefer to face, uh, considering the hitters they have in that lineup. But uh, that debut didn't go great for him. But Eflin did end up throwing two complete games. Um, so even though you know he the whole he he had 11 starts and. Most of them were not very good, but he had two complete games. I remember one against the Braves. I don't know if I remember the other one, uh, but it was the Pirates in Pittsburgh. Okay, yeah, um, you know he was. It was something again. It, it looked like maybe they had another 
possible piece to the rotation uh, in the future. Uh, and I guess, I mean, how do, how do you guys feel about Zach Eflin? I think kind of like Velasquez, it's, it hasn't been perfect, but they also got him in the Jimmy Rollins trade. Yeah, I mean, considering what they gave up, they've gotten more out of him than they would have gotten for Rollins. And, you know, it's not like the Dodgers got a whole lot out of Rollins either. So I'd say they they won that trade. But uh, I don't know. I just think a lot of people think Eflin is something that he probably isn't. Like, he, he just kind of is what he is at this point, uh, which is just, like, an okay to to solid back end of the rotation guy. Yeah, I think the same thing with Velasquez. Eflin saw a lot of setbacks because of injuries. He had to come back through two big injuries uh, to the to the hip, I think, it, I believe it was. Um, so... He's been dependable at times, and he's had his flashes, and they've tried him in the bullpen as well. Um, it's just a matter of him finding his groove and his identity in that rotation and owning it up because he's shown that he has stuff, but he hasn't been consistent. Remember yeah. remember when the rumor was uh, in 2018 that Zach Eflin was untouchable in a Manny Machado deal? Yeah. <laughs> what a like What a time. What yeah, a time! I mean, what a time that was. Maybe they, you know, the the same thing went for Shane Bieber in a uh, Bryce Harper deal for the Indians. So maybe that's what the Phillies saw in in Zach Eflin. You know, just a young pitcher who could really figure it out. And I think, you know, the during the first, so this is 2016, and I think Eflin's kind of been up and down. But 2019 was the first. I guess 2018, he he pitched pretty much the full season. But 2019 might have been his breakout year. He had a couple months in 2018 too. But uh, for a while, it was it was that Zach Eflin has never pitched with healthy knees, and now his knees are finally healthy. Um, you know, I don't know what there is to that. He's definitely like like you said, Ty. He's not perfect, but considering what they gave up for him, he's produced a lot. And I still think there's there's room for him in like a playoff team rotation in the back of that kind of rotation as a fifth starter maybe uh but like john said he's not really been able to be consistent and like a lot of his results have been i don't want to say fake but um based on his sinker which you can't really throw a sinker in 2019 and be consistent and that's why um chris young had him throwing four seamers up in the zone and that's why it was working for a while until it stopped working. But like John said, he just kind of needs to figure out who he is as a pitcher because he's he's succeeded in a couple different ways, and he's also you know been hurt in a couple different ways. Yeah, for sure. But um, I I do still think that they've uh, they they definitely won that trade. It's just uh, the fact that maybe they haven't done enough in the draft or in other trades to where they have to depend on Eflin for more than maybe they should. For sure. I think this rotation from 2016 would be a whole lot different and would not have so much, I don't want to say commitment to Jared Eikhoff and Jeremy Hellickson, but I think that's how you have to put it. If Charlie Morton didn't get injured early in the season, he was having a really great start after being traded from the Astros in that Velasquez trade to the Phillies. And he just got injured and they just weren't able to have that second veteran pitcher in that rotation for three, four uh, young arms. 
Yeah, I mean, Morton was a a pretty savvy pickup by um, uh, by Contact. They got yeah, him they, from the Pirates. From the Pirates, yeah. In, oh, yeah, my bad. They traded David, David Whitehead, just a minor leaguer for him. Um, another, you know, kind of similar to the Hellickson trade, just kind of a buy low. Let's see what we we could, you know, what what there could if there's something here. And then Morin came in and he was throwing 97, which he had never really showed in his career. And all of a sudden, it looked like the Phillies got a big steal. And then he got hurt. And then obviously, as we've seen since then, he, you know, he was on a team that won the World Series, and he was a big part of that. I think he – did he throw the last out of, of the 2017 series? He closed it out, yeah. Yeah, yeah he closed it out. Um, and he's had a really successful career. Um, he, how many how many pitchers have come out of the Pirates and they, they stop throwing sinkers and then they just can blow fastballs by everybody and they turn out to be really good? It's just like – it's kind of crazy. <laughs> happens to the best and then you know uh chris archer goes from the race to the pirates and it has the opposite effect well not that archer was great but anyways i know what you mean yeah i mean and it also makes you wonder should they have tried to after seeing what morton was should they have tried to keep him uh because obviously the astros also bought him low um i think he was a free agent at that point but um should the phillies after seeing that tried to keep him and Go back and forth in that. I think the the their, the biggest thing was that they didn't go after him last off season. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing because he did not sign for a lot. Uh, the Phillies were they were very in on. It seemed like they were in on Patrick Corbin in that off season, all the way. Or was that the? Yeah, that same, was last same off season. season. Yeah. yeah, they were in Corbin all the way till the end. They just wouldn't uh, give as many years as the Nationals did, and it, it kind of it's surprising to me that they weren't as in on Morton. Yeah. I mean, Morton and Lance Lynn were both massive steals last off season. Lance Lynn was so good. I think Lance Lynn was, I'm in the MLB random stats, uh, war league. And you know, who knows how that's going to go, uh, whether there's a season or not, but Lance Lynn was like my first or second pick because he, his war last year was insane because his FIP was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, the, the Phillies didn't sign either, and they were both borderline Cy Young contenders, and the Phillies rotation had its its struggles. But that is a – I guess that's another conversation for another time. Yes, uh, for but sure. Do you, guys, do you guys have any more moments from, from the 2016 season or any other things you want to talk about? I, I don't know anything. No, I think – well, actually, the – the infield itself of Tommy Joseph, Michael Franco, Cesar Hernandez, and Freddie Galvis was supposed to be this up-and-coming infield, and we obviously know none of those players are on this team right now. Joseph was supposed to be the next Gary Sanchez, as we said it, as we were talking before uh, we came onto the podcast. Yeah, that was that's one of my original takes that Johnny stole and put on the oh, timeline right, that, that without concussions. <laughs> Tommy Joseph could have been Gary Sanchez. And, you know, he obviously in the majors never hit as well as Gary Sanchez can. But he could have been, as a catcher, some kind of light version of that. You know, Gary Sanchez light. uh, Because, you know, a power-hitting catcher, it's not an extremely common thing. 
so I I think that if Joseph could have stayed at catcher, they could have got more value out of him. Uh, and the concussions did not allow him to do that. And he had some moments at first base for the Phillies, but um, once he changed position, positions, it was kind of a, you know, you could tell it was not going to be the same thing. Yeah, like like Ty said, the um, the Gary Sanchez thing, which, as he mentioned, is a take that he had, and I stole, because um, he was too much of a coward to put it on the timeline, but uh, Tommy Joseph's hitting profile as a catcher is a valuable player. He had a higher OPS plus in 2016 than JT Realmuto had last year. Um, is that true? That is true. I just looked it up. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of crazy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, you know, obviously Tommy Joseph, first baseman, and you can pretty much find a first baseman that's going to hit 25 or 30 home runs. You can find that anywhere. So Joseph, while he was a pretty good hitter, he, he didn't add a lot of whole lot of value. Um, I think he and Howard combined for 46 home runs from first base, which is... Pretty impressive, I guess. Uh, the problem is neither of them really could get on base in any other way. But they, they did hit some home runs. Um, and I guess while we talk about Tommy Joseph, we should mention that this was Ryan Howard's last season. Uh, I think the highlight of the season, he hit a walk-off home run against the Indians. That was the Phillies' only walk-off home run until uh, July of 2018 when Andrew Knapp hit a walk-off home run. So there was like a two-year stretch there where they had nothing. But um, definitely the end of, of you know, Howard was really the last core piece of the playoff run, and this was his last year. And it was, you know, I think a lot of people say that Howard was underrated as a Philly, and I don't think that's really true. I just think he was bad for a while, and it was kind of like a, a sour ending to, to his career. He was getting booed a lot and stuff, and that's just kind of how it went because – he got a massive contract and didn't perform. Yeah, and like like you said, it was definitely a sour end. And even his – the very end as a Philly, his last game, it was kind of weird. Uh, you know, he stood on the field after the game and kind of said his goodbyes to the Phillies fans. But at the same time, he wasn't retiring, and the Phillies still – had an option for him for $23 million, which, you know, obviously <laughs> they they ended, they ended up declining that. Uh, but it was weird because he wasn't, he was not ready to be done. He bounced around in the minor leagues for the next year or so. Uh, but yeah, what a, what a weird, he's had one of the weirder careers, one of the, you know, biggest ups and also biggest downs of any baseball player I could think of well if he i was actually at that his last game at citizens bank park i believe it was against the mets but anyways I, that game was actually emotional for me I, like this was one of the guys i'm sure as you guys can agree to this that we grew up watching play that he won the mvp in 2006 and the home run derby and all this stuff and he was big of that playoff run and everything was coming to an end and Unfortunately, his end in Philly didn't have as much production as people might have thought it would have. Yeah, and I think, I think the the extension that he was given. When did why did he sign that extension? Was it uh, a, did he sign it in eleven 
Like, I want to say it was. was uh, a, I know it was, it was in. Twenty ten. They were in San Francisco. He signed it in twenty ten. Yeah. So you know there were signs there that he might be declining and stuff, but I think it went about as poorly as it possibly could have, both in terms of produ- production and and the injuries. Uh, just you know was a lot of money into a black hole basically. Uh, yeah. Is that one of the worst contract extensions or moves done by Amaro during his tenure? Yeah. It has to be probably the worst. The worst. Uh, or the trading Lee to the Mariners. One of those. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, it's just like for Howard. and He got he got a lot of, obviously, booed a lot. A lot of, you know, backlash from Phillies fans near the end because he was not performing up to uh, the, you know, that contract. But at the same time, he was not going to turn down that contract as well and and, you know it wasn't exactly his fault that the Phillies gave him a bad deal right yeah you can't really blame him and you know just kind of like we said fell apart for him it was tough to watch though he was so slow he was like he couldn't really run anymore uh that that Achilles injury really really hurt him but uh I guess a couple other things we can touch on um they traded Carlos Carlos Ruiz also, uh, in August to the Dodgers, they got AJ Ellis and a prospect back. Um, there was a game against the Dodgers this season. Chase Utley's return. Um, Chase Utley hit two home runs. Uh, so first one hits a solo home run. Everyone cheers. Uh, you know, it's welcome back, Chase. And then Phillies are getting absolutely crushed, and he hit a grand slam in like the sixth or seventh inning. And got a curtain call, which as I was at that game, it's the only time I've ever seen anything like that happen. Like a curtain call for a player who isn't even on the, the home team. Um, it was pretty surreal, definitely. Yeah, it's like that, that's so weird. That like that's just super weird. I don't yeah. know. You don't like you said, it just doesn't it doesn't happen. But Utley um, never. Really got much scrutiny in uh, Philadelphia. He was a. I, I don't think many people ever had a negative opinion of Chase Utley in Philadelphia. Yeah. That was just a Chase kind of moment where everybody loved him and he was a fan favorite for throughout his entire career. And it's just one of those things that if you're going to treat the fans right, the fans are going to treat you back. And. We saw that through the class of that from that entire stretch from oh wait from oh seven to twelve and they when the players come back for alumni weekend it's the same kind of way same treatment for sure yeah a uh, couple other things Jenmar Gomez had thirty seven saves uh, what was his ERA like not good right four four eight five four Hector Neris was better he had a, this was this was the Hector Neris breakout. Uh, yeah. 2.58 ERA. Hector what, Neris was already 27 in, in 2016. That's crazy. I always think he's a little bit younger than he was, than he is. But yeah, yeah was he's been, tr- he's good, been good, man. Like yeah. other than 2018, he was definitely bad. But he's like been underrated most of his career. Agree. I think last year was the best season he's had, other than maybe 16. Yeah, he was he was he's just been he's had some really solid years and 
you know, maybe sometimes he doesn't come in and slam the door shut uh, right away. He'll make things interesting. Yeah. But that's fun. He's been he's been really good, and I yeah. it kind of it, it, I don't get I don't get that some people don't see that. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Bailey, the Phillies signed him in the offseason. He appeared in 33 games. That's a uh, former rookie of the year. They, the Phillies had two former American League rookie of the years on this team, as uh, me, Ty, and John ac- actually talked about before the podcast, because Jeremy Hellickson also won the award while on the Rays. Um, anything else from the season before we wrap things up? Um, oh, Peter Borges. Uh, he played a lot. I think he was fun to watch. Uh, I know a lot of people disagree with me. He he had a really really good month of June, um, but for most of the other most of the rest of the season, he was not a great hitter. I just think he's really fun to watch in the field. He's a pretty good outfielder, um, makes some good plays, but he he did play in a lot of games and he did start on opening day, along with Cedric Hunter, uh, who as I mean, Ty, do you want to talk a little bit about Cedric Hunter? Um. Yeah, said just all I want to say about Cedric Hunter is that there were five years in between his major league appearances, so you know he played a little <laughs> bit. He played a little bit in 2011, and then a little bit in 2016. Um, neither stint went exceptionally well for the guy. Uh, well, that's that's not exactly true. He was he had a good on base percentage in six games for the Padres. Oh, in, six games in, in 2011. But in 13 games for the Phillies in 2016, uh, he did bat .088, so for a negative 16 OPS plus. So not exactly what you want out of your opening day left fielder, but good for him that he made it back to the big leagues. It was a, you know, he he made it an interesting time by uh, by just starting in left field on opening day, making sure that the Phillies would have a different opening day left fielder for like a million years in a row. That's yeah. Which was honestly, it was going to continue this year because McCutcheon wasn't going to be ready for opening day, but now he might be so that that streak might finally break. Unless they start him in center. Hey now, maybe there we go. I actually, when I actually looked back at that tweet that you put out, Johnny, uh, when I was doing the Andrew McCutcheon preview, it'll come out tomorrow. Uh, tease for me, just shameless there, but it's interesting. <laughs> You're probably how... listening on Wednesday, so it'll be out today. Yeah. So, but like, it it was interesting to see that you put like ever since Raul Raul has left, and like after 2011, the Phillies haven't had a consistent left fielder on opening day. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable, and it's similar in right. I don't think. It I think it was Hoskins. In left. <laughs> it should have been Hoskins in left. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> listen, if if there's baseball this year, I just want to see Reese Hoskins play the outfield again. Yeah, um, this is like random and has nothing to do with 2016 Phillies. But while we're talking about it, I watched uh, I watched Miguel Rojas and Reese Hoskins play MLB The Show together. Uh, oh. I think last week or two weeks ago. Um, and there was a point where somebody messed something up in left field. <laughs> uh, or something like that. Or maybe they were talking about McCutcheon, something like that. And Miguel Rojas was, said something like, yeah, it's like, it's hard to play left field in 
in Philly. And Reese was like, yeah, like, I, was, <laughs> I was cracking up. I couldn't believe like, it was just so good. He, he wasn't trying to be funny, but the way that he was like, yeah, it's, it is hard to play left field. I thought that was so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So any final thoughts? Um, who was the Phillies top prospect in 2016? That, that's all I want to know. The Phillies top prospect? Um, yes. What did Alfaro or Williams or Thompson? It had to have been one I of those think guys. It was, or Crawford. It was Crawford. It was Crawford. Oh, Crawford. Yeah, he was still in the yeah. I guess. Then. I guess we should also. That when he was at Lakewood. Um, probably. 16. He was in Reading by 16, I think, because he he came up at the end of 17. So yeah, was, you're right. He was in Reading in 16. Reading yeah. and Reading and Lehigh Valley, it looked like. <clears throat> yeah. So according to MLB.com, the Phillies' top four um, prospects in 2016 were J.P. Crawford, Mickey Moniak, Nick Williams, and Jorge Alfaro. Wow. Um, yeah, I guess we should talk quickly about the draft because I've done that in the past couple episodes. So the Phillies drafted. Mickey Moniak with the first overall pick, um, and that's kind of – we'll see how that works out. I think his uh, stock as a prospect has definitely fallen, and they they drafted him for a little bit under slot so they could grab Kevin Gowdy in the second round, and Gowdy's just been injured, and, um, you know, it might have been a good pick, but because of the injuries, it doesn't look like it's going to work out, so – yeah, um, and going back to Crawford, <laughs> the prospect in 2016, uh, he was at the I think this is at the end of 2016 by uh, this is MLB Pipeline. So Yoan Mankata was tops in the league, but um, JP Crawford he was two and he was ahead of a couple names that I'll read off here. He was just ahead of Lucas Giolito, Dansby Swanson, Andrew Benintendi. Uh, Tyler Glass now was eight. Austin Meadows was nine. Oof. Victor Robles wow. was ten. Ozzy Albies was twelve. Uh, Clint Frazier was fifteen. Devers was sixteen. Josh Bell was twenty, and Gleyber Torres was wow. uh, seventeen. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Crawford. He didn't pan dropped. out like that. No. No. I can't believe that the Pirates traded <laughs> Glass now. And they were eight for, and nine. They were eight they, and nine. I, I know I've talked about I don't know if we ever talk about this on the podcast. I know I talk about it in every day. I think about this trade like four times a day. The Pirates traded Garrett Cole. They didn't get a great return. And then a few months later, they were like a 500 team middle of the season. And they traded Tyler Glass now in Austin Meadows for Chris Archer, who wasn't even good. I just that yeah. will never make sense to me. It like. Is there anything yeah. to that trade? No. Austin Meadows, I hit a home run with him today in MLB The Show. Wow, humble brag. Or just brag, I guess. But, uh... Yeah, I'm not humble. <laughs> um, <laughs> one more quick thing on the draft. So the Phillies traded, or the, they drafted Moniak and Gowdy in the first two rounds. Uh, the the with the first you know the first pick in each round. Meanwhile, the Los Angeles Dodgers first round they got Gavin Lux. Third round they got Dustin May. You know, two of the top prospects in baseball. Uh, you know, we'll ne- never know if, if the Phillies, you know, some of their failures are more a point of failure to evaluate or failure to develop. But Maybe both. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But 
the Dodgers' ability to win and then draft well with late picks is just pretty incredible. Um, Definitely. So, all right. I know I've said this about eight times, but any final thoughts before no, we wrap up? I think up? we're good. Great. Yep. Um, so thanks, John, again for coming on. Uh, thanks happy, for having me, guys. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone follow him on Twitter. What's your What's your at on Twitter? At John Leuzzi, M-U. Leuzzi is L-E-U-Z-Z-I. So, yeah, everyone give him a follow. Like Ty mentioned, he's an intern at Phillies Nation this summer. Uh, without a season or with a season, still going to be some content to look at at philliesnation.com. And uh, until next week when we talk about the 2017 Phillies, thanks, everyone, for listening. You can listen to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller every Wednesday on philliesnation.com and all streaming services.